here on the Run Beyond Podcast, and we're going to try something different this week, just for fun, be creative, innovative, try things out. Let us know if it sucks. We're going to offer some punditry. Our takeaways on this really great conversation we had with Dylan Bowman and Sabrina Stanley about their performances at the 2021 Hard Rock 100. Hopefully you enjoy. I am Jason Brooks. I'm here today with Jason Schlarb. And we just had a really fun, fantastic, insightful, controversial, interesting conversation with Dylan Bowman and Sabrina Stanley, the second place overall male at Hard Rock, Dylan Bowman, running behind Francois Dehane, both going under the course record, and Sabrina Stanley winning her second consecutive Hard Rock race for her, three years apart, but... um, also coming really close to Diana Finkel's course record, just a few minutes, wasn't it, Jason? Yeah, I was there at the finish watching her, made a little video even, three minutes off of that. Uh, but uh, it, it was an amazing hard rock and there was amazing people there. Uh, and, and we got to, 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 to talk to two of the, 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 the leaders of that race and, it was it was incredible. I mean, I, I would I would recap. Dylan Bowman is a chill, cool dude that is a leader in our sport in a lot of ways with with his own podcast and a, a, a training thing and, and with pillars and a guy that's been around for, you know, 10, 12 years now that has gradually and consistently made his place in history with, with ultra running and, and doing really, really well, despite some big, you know, setbacks. And then, uh, Sabrina, the, the wildcat, she's, she's an incredible lady. What, what, I, I don't want to steal the show and, and, and say that, you know, she, she is, um, unapologetic and she is driven and she wants to win and she, yeah has no filter yeah. about it and it's it's fantastic to hear that yeah well, what did you I, think of I, that I, uh, I had Jason? pretty much the same take that like dylan is ma- like mature in the sport now he's he's got some wisdom underneath him he is patient and like playing the long game thinking about longevity these are a the lot of the things that we have talked about our training and coaching philosophy but he is you know, he's playing, he's playing a smart hand and he is, if you don't hear from him, it's cause he's probably like in a gym somewhere or on a trail somewhere getting ready to do something fantastic from what I can gather. And, uh, yeah, Sabrina's definitely, she's brash. She knows what she wants. She has vision and she's willing, you know, to work as hard as she possibly can and maybe harder than anyone else to go after what she's passionate about. And um, I, one of the things I really like about both Sabrina and Dylan is they are really methodical about picking something that they want to go after that's meaningful for them and has the right combination of interest, intrigue, and motivation to really drive them to devote everything they have to achieving that goal that they set after. And I think um, and I also think Sabrina was right that you can have that's one perspective on how to approach the sport. You know, it's also perfectly acceptable to be somebody that just wants to be a part of the community and wants to experience the joy and the fun and the reward of getting out and racing on a regular basis and just participating in the community and not necessarily being 
competitively focused and driven. And um, it's important to, I think, as an athlete, know which lane you're kind of riding in and understand what it takes to be that character of a trail runner, an athlete. Um, If you want to be successful and you define success as doing really well in races and, and building a reputation in the sport, you've got to, that takes a special approach and, um, and a certain amount of dedication. Yes. Hey, you know, what's really interesting that the common bond between these two athletes, despite, you know, besides being unbelievably successful now is they both weren't runners in college or in high school or anything, you know, Dylan, you know, played uh, lacrosse at CU and Sabrina wasn't a runner. I know that. And, you know, they both became professionals, you know, in a, a late stage post collegiate, you know, time of their lives. And, you know, the, the really cool thing I think about Dylan too, is that I started about the same time that Dylan did. And he, he he's, you know, seven years younger than I am, but he it, you know, it was, it's difficult in our sport because it's so small and niche to have a lot of patience because sponsors aren't patient and they're fickle, especially back in 2010, 2015, et cetera. But he has taken the approach of like a, I don't know, I, I would say almost like a, a professional, you know, world marathon guy where he is just picking one race you know, or two races a year and that's it and doing, you know, strength training six days a week, et cetera. And then there's Sabrina that is absolutely dedicated her life to this and doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't screw around, you know, and just, just absolutely savage, you know, in your face, I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to crush it. You know, that's, that's how she is. And it was great to, to see that and see it work for both of them and, you know, being so, so, so inspirational and, and great leaders for our sport. Yeah. So definitely give this podcast a listen. It's relevant to, I think, everyone it speaks to how you dedicate yourself to 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 your running and and what matters and and how you do that and and being methodical and and being smart and doing for the reasons that you know you might have it totally different than dylan or different than sabrina but uh you know to to be able to have that focus and passion and, and understanding and dedication i think we can all benefit and have a have a healthier good productive and successful uh, running experience. Welcome to Run Beyond. Today we have some special guests with us, fresh from Hard Rock Accomplishment. Sabrina coming in Hard Rock and, and having her second uh, win. And Dylan Bowman coming in with an amazing performance uh, behind Francois de Haine. 
running under the course record under 23 hours. And we're really excited to talk to these two today about their experiences, about their backgrounds, how they got to this point and um, what they thought about Hard Rock. I, I, I'm really excited to talk to both of you as I had the privilege of being there in Silverton, in Ure and to a few other spots and seeing both of you guys run. And it was it was really inspirational. And I appreciate you guys taking the time and, and actually waking up and uh, talking which is uh, a, a big deal, you know, on Tuesday after after Hard Rock. So thank you guys. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, first I will, uh, I've got a funny story to start us off today. I've known Dylan for about, I think almost 10, 11 years. And I remember I had a, I had a particular memory uh, this weekend when you were running Dylan about uh, you and I running Speed Goat 50K in, in Snowbird ski area. And uh, at the time, a lot of people said, you know, Speed Goat was the, the hardest 50K in, in, the, in, in the US. And it's, it's really steep, it's really technical, it's got, you know, tons and tons of vert. And Carl kind of prides himself back in the day of saying, this is the hardest 50K you can do. And I remember running with you, Dylan, and uh, we were we were together on the backside of the snowbird, I believe. And um, I look over and I said, hey, man, how are you doing? And you're just like, this steep stuff's not for me. Uh, th this this really steep, uh, you know, ultra yeah. running. I, I, I just don't think this is for me. And I'm I, I just not doing great. And uh, I think about that, uh, especially when you came in at, you know, 22 45 at hard rock arguably one of the highest and one of the steepest mountain 100 mile races in in, in the country and in, in the world so t tell me how you got from that point to to to, uh, to to where you were on friday and saturday yeah well thanks man and i think uh i've always prided myself on trying to be a versatile athlete. You know, I, I like being able to compete across distances and across terrain and actually speed goat, a race I've done twice has absolutely smashed me both times. And for two of my probably least proud performances in my career. And I don't know why that is, but definitely I feel that I'm best on courses that combine speed and strength. Like I'm not the fastest person out there, but I'm okay. And I'm also not like the best mountain person out there, but I'm okay. So I think like races that combine the two, uh, sort of speed and strength usually suit me best, which in hard rock is obviously very much a strength, strength race. And so you know, obviously as you get older, as you get more experience, you do improve at things that maybe I wasn't as good at back in 2012 at speed goat, um, that you're referencing Jason. But, um, yeah, I think it just came down to training, you know, training specifically for the course, getting ready for the high altitude, for the steeps, for the slow pace. And, you know, when you train specifically for something, even if you're not naturally the most gifted person um, at those particular skills, you can still pull off a, a really solid performance. And that's sort of what do I, I attribute hard rock to both just training really specifically for the race and also just being so grateful to be there and so excited for the journey ahead. And, and that's always when I perform, perform my best. 
Did you do a lot of your preparation in, in the Sierra Nevadas? Yeah. So my training block was a six week training camp in Mammoth Lakes, California. Uh, we were staying at about 8,200 feet. I tried to get up high as much as I can, as much as I could. I also grew up in Colorado, I should say, and I've always been good at altitude. I think it's just come naturally to me because that's, uh, what my body recognizes. And so, you know, just the training camp in mammoth, uh, in the mountainous terrain at altitude set me up really well. Dylan, did you know the course before you came out here or... Have you been on it much? Not really, Sabrina. So like I paced Joe Grant in 2011, 10 years okay. ago from Telluride yeah. to the finish. And of course, didn't have many memories of that whole experience. So that was uh, the the bulk of my experience on the course. I had done Uray to Telluride with Mike Foote in 2015. So I'd done Virginia. So that was pretty fresh in my mind. Yeah. I've, I've sort of remembered that part. But no, it was a, it was kind of a surprise for me. It was so great that way though. I was actually, I'm really happy I did it that way in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. Did strength training play a big part in your preparation for this? A hundred percent. I'll be curious to hear what Sabrina says about this too, but I, uh, in my mid thirties have really bought into the importance of being a strong athlete, no matter what sort of race you're preparing for, but especially for something like hard rock. And I work with a guy in Portland, Oregon, uh, named Matt Walsh. So shout out to him. He is an incredible physical therapist, but he's more of like a strength coach than a physical therapist. He's sort of like a strength and movement guy. And, uh, we have an awesome group of people who sort of get together and train, um, in Portland, we call ourselves the Walsh Wallabies because he's an Australian guy. Uh, and so we have some friends there, including Rachel Drake and Tyler green, um, who are awesome runners in Portland and Tyler came out to pace me. So yeah, I definitely pay attention to the strength side of things. And I think it pays huge, huge dividends. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, Sabrina had thrown you the question about whether or not you'd seen much of the hard rock course. So I'm just curious, what did you, it seems like you really appreciated the adventure and mystery of like figuring out maybe half the course or more on race day. Yeah. I would say that I always perform my best when I feel just excited to put myself through something and if you step to the start line with any semblance of dread for what's to come, it becomes a lot easier to find excuses to slow down or to find excuses to quit. And I've wanted to do hard rock for my entire career, you know, for more than a decade now. And especially after getting pulled in the lottery back in 2018 and having two and a half years to sort of wait on the sidelines naturally by the time it was we arrived in silverton and it was time to embark on the adventure i just couldn't wait you know i just was desperate to do it and even though i knew it was going to be incredibly difficult i wanted to put myself through that and that's when like i said i just i always race my best when you know even when it hurts i'm still happy to be there and uh, so that's how I felt about Hard Rock. And even though I hadn't seen a lot of the course, 
I was feeling really fresh, really fit. And, um, yeah, I mean, not, not seeing the course, I think ended up being a blessing. Yeah. That seems like a winning mental headspace to be in, to be excited, to have accepted the challenge, you know, be just ready to take it on and not, Mm -hmm. not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think if the race had been held in uh, 2019, it would have been a different outcome? Oh, it would have been awful. It would have been terrible for me. And that's a that's a much longer uh, answer to a question because 2019 was the worst year of my life. I, I mean, I was totally in the depths of a, you know, midlife crisis, for lack of a better word. And I had broken my ankle in April. And so I was trying to you know, I, I still wanted to do hard rock. I was going to do it, even though my body was clearly not prepared for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond just like the injury stuff, um, I think a hundred percent, just the weight of two and a half years by the time, you know, we gathered in Silverton and, and they sent us off. Yeah. It was just like, finally let's go. And, uh, and I carried that energy with me the whole, the whole day. Sabrina, I've got a question for you. Uh, I met you, I guess it's been like maybe five, six years. I, I can't remember exactly how many years it was. It was back when we had an ultra athlete summit, back when you were running with ultra. And one of the things that I noticed, and I think that uh, you're, you're almost now famous for, Sabrina, is that you're, you're just a, you're, you're a savage, awesome competitor. And you are unapologetic. And you are really, really clear and and just direct and awesome. It rubs people wrong. And some people don't understand it. And some people are scared by it, I feel like. And I feel like there's even some kind of, um, there's some there's some gender stuff about being aggressive as a lady that, that some people, you know, some people get scared by. And I just want to like, first off, thank you for being so savage. And second off, I, I, I'm just curious how you feel about w- that or wh- what you think about when people say that to you or, you know, maybe label you with, with, with something like that. What, to tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know I was. Like, I thought everybody was like this. Like, if you're competing at this level, I thought you had to be that intense. Um, and so the deeper I got into the sport, the more comments I got. Um, and honestly, just as many from women as men. Um, like not super supportive of it. After Nolan's, I would say it definitely reached a peak when I went back for the second one. Cause like, was it right to go back and take Megan's? And I don't know, it's just like a lot of weird comments um, and, and negative ones. And so I went through like a weird, I don't know, two or three month month phase where I really questioned if I was the bad guy and I was in the wrong. And like, I was too aggressive and I was too competitive and too serious about what I was doing. And I should be out there enjoying the trails and appreciating the mountains on a greater level during races or attempts. Cause I appreciate the mountains when I train, I love being in the mountains, but um, when I'm in the middle of an FKT attempt or a race, like I'm there for that event and that's all that matters. And I'm not there to, to sightsee. Um, but then after those two or three months, I started to realize it was affecting my happiness and like, I'm just going to be who I am. And if, if people don't like that, that's fine. And to really embrace that, I started listening to um, like MMA fighter books and um, podcasts, interviewing those kind of women and their attitudes. And so um, Clarissa Shields has been a huge inspiration of mine. Um, she's, uh, I think 
two or three time gold medal boxer that's transferring to the MMA. And then Ronda Rousey, I listened to her book and just fell in love with her entire attitude. Um, I'm in the middle of Mike Tyson's book. And so just all those takes on their sport and, and embracing it and just taking it into trail running. And if, if the trail running community doesn't, doesn't appreciate that, and I'm fine with it, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I also think that when you do things like, you know, complete Nolan's 14 and do it, do it twice in a summer, people are like, oh, I kind of step back and, and they think this person <laughs> is operating on another plane, right? That, was, that, was that kind of like a seminal moment for you that last summer, the two FKTs? I was just shocked at the lack of, I guess, a, um, respect or appreciation for the actual accomplishment and then the level of importance they put on my attitude. Like the accomplishment no longer mattered. It was my personality that mattered. And I was like, wait, do you know how hard that was? Like <laughs> the second Nolan's was the, so yeah, or like what, this weekend's hard rock. I, if I had registered on a scale of toughness, I would say it was a two out of 10. My second Nolan's attempt was a 12 out of 10. Like I honestly don't, I mean, I would go back if I had to, but I mean, the first peak, I, I, my body was already done, you know, like I just did it and just to mentally force my legs over 13 more summits and like keep that drive and keep that passion alive for that long. That was a mental challenge as much as a physical one. And so when people were like, did not give a shit about Nolan's two and were like, wow, she's really aggressive. Like I was so like taken aback by that, by that perspective. And so, um, yeah, but I'm I'm totally past it, um, and and embracing you know my aggressiveness and my competitiveness, and I want to have fun on the trails, and I want to I want to win at the end of the day, and that's all that matters to me. And so um, I went into Hard Rock with a really good mindset, and I I was so focused on Hard Rock, and I studied it, and I studied past splits, and um, I think you know the journey of an ultra runner, the journey of like becoming more successful, you have to go through those hiccups and like really to understand who you are and embrace who you are. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, so to Dylan's question, how did strength training play into your preparation for hard rock this year? It honestly, it didn't really. Um, I mean, I do yoga, at, I'd say 30 to 60 minutes a day. It varies. Um, but I do that. I try to get it in every day, but honestly, probably like five days a week. Um, and then I did sauna training four days a week for an hour. Um, and then I was on course. I mean, it, it like, obviously my mileage grew, but the bulk of my training, I was on there, I'd say five weeks straight for up to eight hours a day, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but I'd say an average of eight hours a day. And I mean, I'm not doing like speed workouts, but I'm hiking nonstop, you know, I'm bombing the descents nonstop. And I think just that repetition in my legs was, was crucial. Did it give you a lot of confidence to just know the course and kind of like know where you were and feel comfortable about it? Yeah. Unlike Dylan, like I, I feel so much more confident when I go into a race and I know the course because I know when to hold back and I know when I can just push. And so, especially the first climb, like I went way faster than I knew wasn't, knew was smart to, but at the same time I knew where I could rest later and take that recovery time and just kind of like cruise some easy miles. Um, so yeah, I, my, I mean, my second attempt on anything has always been much, much better. And so I wanted to know every inch of hard rock and I, 
think I successfully did that through training and was able to implement it in my race. Sabrina, you live in Silverton uh, at, you know, at the heart of hard rock, so to speak. And, you know, I, I moved to Durango and hard rock was a big motivation and, and, and influence, let's say, to, to go and uh, make this my home. Uh, what, what do you find, do you think you're going to be in Silverton for the rest of your life? How much do you feel that the, the hard rock course or, or the San Juans or what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I would like to be here as long as possible. Uh, I was in Breckenridge for um, five years, roughly, and then moved to Steamboat. And then the mountains in those two towns are so vastly different. And I just craved that the tree line, honestly, and, and epic jagged peaks. And um, my fiance is not a super big fan of Breckenridge. And so this like Silverton was a really nice compromise for both of us uh, to to be here and have so, an epic mountain range wake up in the morning and just have your breath taken away, but also not have like the crowds that Breckenridge has. Um, and so, yeah, I see us staying in Silverton a very long time. You know, maybe we'll spend a summer here or there in Europe training. Um, but as far as the U.S. goes, I don't see a better a better spot for us. I agree with you on that uh, completely. Uh, I, I think it's the most beautiful place um, in, in the U.S., um, I've, I've got a question for you too, Sabrina. You know, I, I saw your post uh, on Instagram and talking about, you know, your calling and your motivation to, to, to greatness. And, you know, you now have won Hard Rock twice. Uh, you know, you've won Grand Raid, uh, Diagonal Defu. And I remember I, I asked you shortly after you finished Hard Rock, uh, you know, are you going to be back next year? What, what are your plans? And you responded at the time and I, it's been a few days now, so I want to revisit this. What, um, do you plan on coming back to hard rock next year? And, uh, if not, what do you, what are you thinking about doing? I don't, I don't plan on coming back to hard rock. Um, this might, again, my personality, I don't think there's a female out there that can beat me at hard rock. So me going back to hard rock, it seems like an easy way out. Um, it seems like a guaranteed win and I want to do, I mean, I want to win Western. I want to win Leadville. I want to win UTMB. Those are like my top three races right now that I want to tackle. And those will probably be my next three years, um, in some sort of order. And I'll repeat those until I do win them all, um, run rabbits down the list as well. But at the end of my career, however long that is, I want to have my ultra sign up, have every big race that there was, and I want to have a number one next to it. And so, um, Although returning to Hard Rock to like go three minutes faster sounds really enticing, I just have to remember what the end goal is and focus on that. And in in five years, if I can achieve all those other goals and there is time to come back to Hard Rock and I'm still fit enough and um, healthy enough to attempt the course record, then I definitely will. But I don't see that happening in, in the next five years or so. Awesome. Dylan, awesome. do you I plan on coming back next year? Yes, Sabrina. To to answer your question, I would a hundred percent come back in a minute if I got in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of course, you've done it. Uh, you've done it twice. I've only done it once. You've done it in both directions. I've only gone counterclockwise. Sure. Uh, but I had such a special experience at the race. Um, I mean, honestly, it was the highlight of my career. I think it's one of the coolest races in the world, and. You know, I've been lucky, Sabrina, to race a lot of the races that you just ticked off already in my career. I'm 
older than you. I've been in the sport longer than you. And so, you know, I feel like I've, I've sort of done my Western States. I've done my Leadville. I've done UTMB. And, uh, and now I would love to go back to hard rock and do it in the other direction. But, you know, I also feel that I got the best out of myself already on that course. I don't know if I could run faster. And so if I do have the privilege of getting back in, it'll be with, you know, the mentality of, yeah, just trying to do it uh, like I did this year and, and not not going back feeling like I left a lot on the table is is a good good place to be. And so I think I would be able to approach the race again with a similar attitude of just like, oh, I'm excited to do this again and do it in the opposite direction and uh, see if uh, if I can sort of duplicate the amazing day that I had in 2021. Dylan, how much do you feel the weather, you know, impacted how the race went? You know, it was kind of an unusual day for the San Juans in July. Uh, the, the typical kind of formula or, 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 or pattern in the past uh, is that, you know, it, we have some, some sunny, hot morning, late morning, and then in the afternoons or into the evening, we get, you know, thunderstorms or, uh, you know, some lightning, that kind of thing. And the race was um, a bit cooler and it, it, we had a lot of cloud coverage and we also had humidity. It didn't get really too hot and it didn't get really too cold. What did you, um, what, what did you think about the weather? And then, and then the second part to that too is like, let, let me just, let, let's start with that one. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was really great conditions. Honestly, I think that, is part of the reason why the top three men went really fast. Um, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear Sabrina's take on this too. Um, but yeah, I mean, having been at Western States this year, just to do the live commentary and seeing how hard the conditions were there, my feeling was that the hard rock conditions did um, help me at least to move a little bit quicker. I am not somebody who loves the heat. And so, you know, in years that it might be much warmer in your Ray, for example, this year, we had a little bit of a drizzle coming down Bear Creek. And then in your Ray had nice cloud cover as we climbed Campbird Road, which I think typically is the hottest part of the day. Uh, similarly, we didn't have crazy precipitation either. So, uh, aside from the backside of Handys, so coming to Burroughs Park and then going up Handys, I definitely got rained on quite heavily, got very cold, put my jacket on, hood up, zipped up, everything. Um, but that lasted for maybe 30, 40 minutes. And then by the time I got to the summit, the sun was out again, took the jacket off, put it away, and it was pretty much perfect for the rest of the day. So, I mean, I couldn't have asked for better weather conditions. And similarly, like the course conditions were good too. I mean, at least from my perspective as somebody who hasn't spent a ton of time on the course, obviously there wasn't a lot of snow. Um, there wasn't any, you know, crazy deadfall or anything like that, aside from sort of around the Grant Swamp KT area, there was a few sort of tricky spots, but all in all, both the course conditions and the weather conditions, I think, helped me to run much faster than I expected to. What did you think, Sabrina, of the weather? How, how did that, you know, compare to last time you ran it versus this time? Last year, I don't remember it being insanely hot. It was definitely manageable. Both times I've ran it, there's been no snow on course. 
um, which for Hard Rock is kind of an unusual experience as well. Um, yeah, I came out of Sherman and I got rained on pretty hard all the way up to, um, like, I don't know, half mile up handies. Um, I never put my jacket on. I just, I was running hot already. I felt like, cause I'd had some nutrition issues earlier on. And so the rain felt so good just to like cool my body down. Um, got a little chilly for me at the top of engineer, but I knew, and it was a little drizzly, but I also knew I was dropping into Ray and the temperatures just can keep going. So we didn't, my pacer, I didn't take time to put on our jackets there either. Um, yeah, the only time I really put a jacket on was leaving KT aid and that was for maybe a mile. I mean, I think I was just slowing down and it was early morning and, um, my, yeah, I just needed the warmth for just a little bit until I warmed back up and started hiking efficiently again. Um, but yeah, I mean the course conditions, you can have asked for, for better weather, um, or like, like Dylan was saying, there's no, there were no serious trees down or anything that you had to navigate through course markings were great. And so, yeah, it was just a really fast, fast day out there. Pardon the interruption. We lost some of the audio for this podcast episode. Jason asked Dylan about his experience racing with Francois during hard rock. And this is where we picked up. Yeah, of course, I wanted to to reel him in. And I've known Francois for a while. We've raced many times and I have a ton of respect for him. I think he is not only a phenomenal athlete, obviously, but he represents all that's good about the people in our sport. And he's just genuinely a, a, a gracious, cool guy and an awesome champion for the sport. And, you know, having been really close to him for a lot of the day he pretty much sort of started to get a gap going um through basically maggie so it was pretty early but that whole section where you're up high i could see him just a few minutes uh in front of me and knew that he wasn't necessarily like trying to build a gap or hit the gas too early in the race but he was moving really strong and steady and going up handies. I knew I had, uh, he had about four or five minutes on me. I was just feeling great, man. And obviously just trying to focus on running my own race in those early miles, not getting caught up in being with him or uh, in front of him or getting upset that I was behind him, anything like that. It was just more about understanding that there was so much uh, race left in front of us and trying to have the self-belief that Sabrina talks about that I could eventually catch him. Uh, and really the, the one moment that I think is worth mentioning on this front was uh, leaving Grouse and going up engineer. He maintained same four or five minute lead on me. And on the, the huge descent down into Uray, my whole strategy for the race was to run every downhill really easy so that I could climb really well. And so that big downhill into Uray, I was like consciously holding back, you know, going slower than I wanted to be going intentionally. And when we got to Uray, uh, Francois had eight or nine minutes. So he put three, four minutes, extra minutes on me in that 5,000 foot descent from uh, engineer down into array. And for me, that was actually like a positive thing, even though I had lost time on him, my feeling was, okay, he ran that downhill hard. And my wife even said that Jim Walmsley, who was pacing Francois mentioned that they had run the downhill hard and that he thought that they had probably put extra time into me, which he was right about. 
So leaving Uray, I actually had this uh, sort of feeling of like, okay, they ran that downhill a little too hard. This campered road is sort of my style where it's uh, mostly runnable. I should be able to run well on this. Francois is more of a mountain guy. This is maybe a little bit more suited to me. Maybe I can start making up some time and maybe he miscalculated a little bit and I could catch back up to him. And unfortunately, Campbird Road sucked for me. It was probably the hardest part of the race. I just was not moving well on the runnable stuff. And then from there, the gap just continued to grow. And even though like, I still felt like I was moving well. And so that's the, the other thing, just in the second half of the race, coming to every aid station and learning that the gap had, had continued to grow, even though I felt like I was doing really well. It was just so impressive, man. He's just so good. And there was nothing that I could have done to compete with him on Friday. Um, you know, I'm still really, really happy, proud of my performance and hope that he and I can have a, an, another race in our, in our future. Um, but yeah, I am not upset at all to, to have lost to Francois. What do you think it is about Camp Bird that, uh, that hit your button right? You know, Sabrina, it's a good question. I've been thinking about this, but I think it may have just been like, you know, a, an inexplicable kind of low point because I was doing well on fueling too. So I think it was just like my legs, because it was strange because whenever it got steep, I would move much better. And then on sort of yeah. like the flatter runnable stuff. Yeah. I just couldn't, couldn't maintain a really, um, yeah, respectable pace. So I think Francois actually put like a minute, a mile on me on Campbird road and he was running with Walmsley, which I think, uh, probably, you know, helped him too. Cause I'm sure Walmsley was just sort of tiptoeing up that thing. And so, yeah, I don't know. I I've been thinking about that though. If I could run it again in the counterclockwise direction, how would I get to your Ray and do better on Camp Bird road? Because that's definitely one of only a couple places where I feel like I could have run a lot faster. When, um, when I did it my first year, obviously the opposite direction, I listened to a few podcasts and I think I listened to one with Anna Frost and she was talking about, she just got after it going down Camp Bird. And then she blew up on the engine going up to engineer from the opposite direction. So my first year I said, I will not break a nine minute pace going down Camp Bird. So basically the same strategy you had, but opposite direction. Oh. And, um, so I, I really controlled my, I was super conservative on my pace going into Uray thinking I'd be a really strong climb up out of Uray. And that was, I didn't realize but looking at the splits later and talking to Iron Far, they said, you know, you lost a lot of ground there. Like you're the second place female uh, grabbed out in how many minutes on the climb out of Uray. And so oh. this year, and then I talked to um, Rock Horton. He was like, no, you can't, can't pace yourself like that. You just have to go for it when you can. So this year going into your eight, I mean, I, I wasn't going like max effort, but I said, I'm going to run and I'm going to like run hard. And uh, I think it made a difference because then my legs were still like that blood was flowing going up Camp Bird. I mean, maybe I paid the price going out to Ride later on in the race, but that section for me was really strong. And I, I wonder like how that, I don't know what the fascinating did that. Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. This is good race beta. <laughs> Sabrina. 
my, my perception, and I might live in like a little bit of a weird bubble, but um, my perception was that going into Hard Rock this year, Courtney DeWalter was the favored female. Were you at any point nervous about Courtney? And, and what was going through your mind when you passed her late in the race? Yeah, I'm going to try and uh, answer this like as politically correct as possible. I wasn't scared of Courtney. Um, I mean, I know Hard Rock. I knew that she was racing San Juan Solstice 20 days before, which I thought was a huge, it was something I would never do because I know how hard Hard Rock is. And um, she did so well at San Juan Solstice that that also gave me like faith. Like, I mean, she took 41 minutes off the course record. So I knew she ran hard. And also San Juan Solstice isn't Hard Rock. I mean, I know you're at elevation, but that's a very runnable course. Hard Rock is arguably not runnable. And so I knew she had speed, but I didn't know if she had strength. Um, and I knew what I could accomplish on hard rock for Courtney to accomplish that her dedication to the race would have had to have shown much more. And I just felt like following her through the year, it was another race on her docket. It wasn't an a race to her. She was showing up. I mean, I'm sure she hoped she was going to do well, but, um, I mean, I was out for blood. Like I was going to win regardless. And yeah, so no, there was no fear there. I mean, there was excitement because I know how much attention she draws and I know she was the favorite. And so for me to go out and beat Courtney was going to be a huge deal. And that like fed the fire as well, the entire training block. Yeah, that's, I, I was wondering about that, the San Juan Solstice piece of the calendar too, whether or not it would be a benefit for runners or not. I know um, Nick Petitella also ran San Juan Solstice and then he was the sixth male at Hard Rock this year. Um, and I don't know, I don't know where Hard Rock fits in his calendar. Cause I think he's also going after a CT FKT this summer. And right. so, um, to him, I'm sure it wasn't an A race and it's part of probably a bigger end game. And, uh, so I think what, you know, what you're saying speaks to that idea of having really that that a race and like focusing all of your energy and attention on that and making sure that you go, you go into it ready. And if, if you're not, if you're not taking it seriously enough, then you never know what, you know, things met, the cards might not fall in your direction on that day. Yeah. I mean, Uh, I don't believe in plan B's like I'm going into plan A and I'm going to like, if I'm the dead last finisher, like I'm going to finish hard rock. And I think that's, that's just respect for everybody trying to get into hard rock as well. I mean, my Avery Collins has spent, I think eight years, seven years trying to get in and like it kills him, you know, that like, if you're in hard rock, you finish hard rock period because you have that opportunity. Um, and that's, that's something I like, I deeply believe in. Yeah. We preach that at our sellout races. You know, it's like, there are a lot of people who would like to be here today and you should yeah. think about them while you're out on the course yeah. and you're working hard and suffering. And these aren't lottery races that people spend, you know, a decade trying to get into or anything. Right. And if, if So it's this idea of um, having only an A race, is that something that you preach in your coaching with the athletes that you all work with? For sure. I mean, I, I listen to them and I listen to their goals and if their goal isn't to, like if they're just out there to have a good time and they want to do a ton of races, like everybody has their own perspective on trail running. Yeah. Um, when I race, I want the best results out of my body that I can possibly get. 
But if your goals are just to be in the trail community and have a good time, then that's different and you can race a lot more. Um, and so I just, you know, hear out my athletes and, and we discuss it and go, go from there kind of, and try to build a schedule that makes them happy that I also feel will be, um, you know, produce successful results for them. So what's your, what's your next big goal, Sabrina? <laughs> Man, it kind of goes against everything I've ever preached. Um, but I'm signed up for UTMB right now. <laughs> so <laughs> why does that uh, go against everything you've preached? Oh, cause it's just like so close. I mean, I yeah. believe in an A race, you do a four month build up to that A race and you can do like smaller training races, but you have four months and you go into that A race. So driven. And, um, I did that with hard rock and because I did that with hard rock, I couldn't tell you a single stat about UTMB. I can even tell you course record paces. I couldn't tell you what a normal female finish is in. I couldn't tell you where the start line is besides Chamonix, but like, I know nothing about UTMB, which I shouldn't be advertising, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I have a few, uh, like what, 30 days or something like that to start studying it. So a crash course. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you, but do you also feel, I often feel like when I invest as much as you might have in hard rock that I need a physical and mental break for a little while afterwards. I usually like go on an international vacation and yeah. like sit on my ass for a little while and read books. Um, totally. So, yeah. I mean, Nolan's obviously I, I stacked those two up and that was, that was never mm -hmm. planned. Right. Um, so I've never stacked, I've never intentionally stacked up hundreds like this uh, just cause I want to be in, I want to have a very long successful career and I don't think racing hundreds frequently is conducive to that. Um, right. Yeah. But again, this year's different, but I agree. I think, I think you have, to, I, for every 10 miles I run, I take a day off or every 10 miles I race, I take a day off. So typically I take 10 days off after hard rock and I, I don't do like, I don't do shit. And, um, I want to build that hunger so that when I get back to running, like I crave it, you know? And if you just race, 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 I think you lose that you lose that mentality and it becomes so monotonous that it's not enjoyable anymore. You, you know, uh, being in the sport for a long time, like, like you have Dylan and uh, Sabrina, I, I appreciate your perspectives on racing and, and making focuses and, and the balance, you know, for, for quite a while back uh, in, in our sport, people were racing almost every month and we had a lot of legendary athletes that uh, were, were leaders in our sport that, you know, burned out and also just, you know, kind of, you know, just did too much. And, and it, it's, it's good. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's good for everybody involved. I believe that, you know, people start to, to really think about, uh, you know, not just being, you know, kind of childish and just doing whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. And, you know, just, just to make those a focus races and, and to make it, you know, uh, you know, a priority and a passion, a, a, a pursuit that's, that's, uh, you know, long-term. And I, I, I really do appreciate that, but I, you know, I look back and I see other people that are both elite or middle of the pack or back of the pack. And, you know, their passion is, more maybe about community, about adventure, about exploring, about, um, you know, just having that feel of the, the, the ultra, be, being raw, breaking yourself down. Um, and so it's, it's tough to kind of balance those two things. And, and it's also tough to kind of judge other people, you know, that, that choose to do things that are, you know, let's say crazy or unsustainable. 
Um, you know, it's kind of the, a, a bit of the foundation of, you know, ultra running as being ridiculous. But, you know, balancing that professionalism and, and goals, uh, you know, I, I really do respect what you're doing there, Sabrina. So, th- so thank you for, for communicating about that. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, not being apologetic and, you know, standing to that. And I, I think that that's a great thing for, for our community. Thank you. And, and nothing against anybody who races a lot. Like I said, and, and you um, said as well, everybody has different goals. So if you want to if it's about being a part of the the community for you and you want to be at a race every weekend, then, then that's your drive. Um, and so, you know, just follow whatever your drive is. And I, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that this is the route I chose. Dylan, what is your next project? Well, I, uh, need to talk to both Sabrina and, and Jason Schlar because I really want to go do diagonal the foo in October. Um, and, uh, I think it fits really, really well and time, uh, timing is really good post hard rock. Like Sabrina, I love taking time off. I'm very, um, yeah, religious about, yeah, allowing myself to rest and recover after these huge efforts. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to have a really long career and still feel like I have a lot of gas in the tank, both physically and on a motivation level, even though I've been running ultras at a high level for a dozen years now. Um, so diagonal to foo would be a dream race for me this fall. It's a hundred mile race on reunion Island off the coast of Madagascar. Uh, people don't know about it as much in the U S but it's a really big deal race on the international circuit. Um, and from what I hear, uh, of course, Sabrina's a champion. Jason's finished the race, but from what I hear, it's uh, one of those race experiences that uh, defies uh, appropriate explanation just because it's so hard, so tough in such a, I guess, exotic location. And most notably, the locals of this island are just absolutely crazy for trail running and for the race. Um, so for the past three years, my plan has been to do hard rock and diagonal defu. Of course, 2019 hard rock was canceled 2020. We, none of us got to do anything. And so here, 2021, my plan is hopefully still to do hard rock and diagonal defu. Beautiful, man. I, you know, just for people listening, you know, uh, reunion Island is 500 miles east of Madagascar. And I would describe it as kind of like a Jurassic park and a place uh, a magic place in our you know trail running world that uh it is the sport of the island and there's um you know it you know it starts it starts in the evening as twenty thousand people at the start cheering i i remember you know for for 10k you know being in tears because of the intensity and the emotion of that and so I know Sabrina, you've done that, and we—it's—it's we, it's such a special one that nobody knows about in the U.S. And I think there's probably been maybe 10, 15 U.S. runners that have ever gone, and uh, that culture and that experience. And uh, hats off to you, Debo. It's a—it's a—it's a weather wild race. It's like it's—it's it's going from cold to wet to hot to humid. It's, it's such an experience, and I—I—I'm I'm excited for you to do that. And. I, I did that race uh, six weeks after UTMB and hallucinated and tried to sleep on the road. And uh, I'm glad that you're giving it the respect it deserves because a lot of people, 
Um, it, you know, it's apples and oranges, but you know, a lot of people consider it as hard as hard rock or harder. Yeah. So uh, good luck with that, man. I, I'm, I'm pumped to see what you do. Yeah, I, there, I appreciate it. And I think to what we've all been talking about, I, I think it is important to, when you, like Sabrina said, she said she doesn't believe in plan B's or doesn't believe in, forget exactly what she said, but like when I sign up for a race, I want to be committed to it and I want to give it my best effort. And for me, like, I can't wait to see UTMB and I hope uh, Sabrina recovers really well so that she can go have an amazing battle over there in Europe. For me, there's just no possible chance that I would be able to do that in a way that would set me up for any potential success. You know, I prefer to go over there, do some media stuff, do some commentary, watch Sabrina and everybody else smash it. And for me, that fills me up with a lot of energy and motivation too. So I'll probably take a big break basically until UTMB, go over there, watch the race, do some training in the mountains, in the Alps, and then use that as with the motivation and the training to kickstart, you know, a two month build towards Diagonal Defu. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's no poles, so it's a different game and there's... Like there's a lot of climbing, but it's a lot of steps. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of stairs out there. And uh, I went into it and I just said, because it was so much climbing, I'm going to run every step I can, no matter what point of the race it was. Because I know there's going to be so many spots where you can't run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, if it were closer, I would go to that race every single year. The You are bigger than an Olympian there. Like the community is insane. Um, yeah. yeah, I, that rate, that's my all-time favorite race hands down well sabrina after our podcast here in the next uh couple of weeks we should connect i'd love to pick your brain about it yeah yeah i appreciate both of you coming on the show you know just three or four days after your race and and sharing this stuff and it's it's such great insight and it's so exciting to hear how both of you have such great success at hard rock this year and approach your racing and your mental aspect and and you know you know bringing this story to our community so we understand how, you know, the legends of our community, our leaders of our community, uh, you know, think and feel and, and, and how things went. So thank you for your time and, and good luck to both of you. And so excited to see what this year and next year, you know, pans out and, and you guys can do. So thank you. Thank you, yes. guys. Yeah, thank you both. I really appreciate it. It's been an inspiring conversation. 